Hello, and welcome back to the Scale-Ups and Hypergrowth podcast. Today, it's a genuine pleasure to have Matt Edmondson, who is an e-commerce entrepreneur and podcaster, as my guest. Matt, would you mind giving a quick introduction to who you are and your history to get to where you are today? Sure, absolutely. Well, thanks for having me on the show, Marcus. It's great to be here. So like you said, uh, very kindly, I'm an e-commerce entrepreneur. I've been around e-commerce since 2002. And so I measure e-commerce years, you know, like you measure dog years, you know, one year is seven years kind of thing. So I've been around e-commerce for a really long time. (laughs) It feels like forever. And during that time, we've set up, sold, grown, collapsed, whatever words you want to use, around 20 of our own e-commerce businesses. And I still do e-commerce, but now I also get to fly all over the world helping people with their digital business as well. So it's, that's kind of me. That's, it's good fun. I'm in sunny Liverpool at the moment from my shed and the weather is actually quite sunny. So, you know, things are looking up. It could, it could be worse. You could be in Birmingham. <laughs> <laughs> it could be worse. I could be an Everton supporter right now. And that would not be good in Liverpool uh, for obvious reasons. <laughs> Excellent. Okay, so Matt, what what are the four most common questions you get asked about e-commerce? What is it? How do you set it up? And what are the four most common questions that get thrown at you? So by far, the most common question I get asked, I call it the master question, and it's simply this, where do I start? So just about everybody that I speak to, whether it comes to they're wanting to set up their own e-commerce business or they're wanting to do digital better in their business or, or whatever it is, they all know that they should. They all know that they want to, but they just don't know how to begin. And so by far, the most common question is, how do I start? Where do I start? And then you could break that down. Maybe they want to know about you know how to do e-commerce marketing. So it's like, well, where do I start with that? So I call it the master question. is like, where do I begin? I know I should do this. Where do I start? I would say the second most common question that people ask me is, how do I get more people to my website? (laughs) You know, what's the silver bullet, man? What's the, and really when you get down to what they're asking is, what's the really easy, simple way that's going to cost me no money, that's going to work in five minutes, that's going to drive 100,000 people to my website, please? (laughs) You just kind of read between the lines. That's, that's what they want to know. And so that's always quite an interesting question. The third most common question would be a similar one, but it's how do I, how do I convert people that come to my website into sales? So we get a lot of people connecting with us that have set up a site, oh, an e-commerce website on a platform called Shopify. Yeah. I don't know if you're familiar with that, Marcus. You come across uh, that? Yeah, I've, I've come across it. Yeah, it's just a simple online e-commerce platform. I used to use it a lot uh, in the early years. And so they're very good at teaching you how to get traffic to your website. But the, the, the most common problem they have is the traffic's not converting. I.e., They've got to my website, but they're not buying anything, which is you know, almost pointless, really. It's like having a shop that you, 100,000 people come in, but nobody buys anything. It's why, why bother? So yeah, there's that. And then the final question I would say, Marcus, is social media. What do I do with social media? And questions related to social media. Should I be on social? What social channel should I do? How do I do Facebook marketing? You know, all those kind of things. Well, I mean, I I saw some really interesting research from Gap in the Matrix that said $265 billion of marketing spend on Facebook and Google last year got zero interaction. And 1.73 trillion impressions got no, no interaction at all. So that's a huge money pit. So let's deal with the first question. Where do you start? Yeah, it's a good question. eh? Where do you start? And fundamentally, the way I answer that question with a team, with clients, with people that ask me that question is simply, it's a very simple response. And that is, what is the purpose? What is the purpose of what you want to do? So you tell me you want to do digital better for your business. You know you should do, but why? Why, why do you want to do that? And by drilling down, you know, that I was always taught, ask the why question at least five times and you've drilled down far enough to then figure out, okay, now I understand what the purpose is. Now I know what you're trying to actually do. We can now figure out the best place to start for that. And so I always say to clients that 
simply spend 20 minutes just asking that question, why are you trying to do what it is you're trying to do? Are you wanting to do e-commerce because you're wanting to build an online business, which is the most common reason, right? But is that business attached to something else? So do you have products that you've got excess stock of that you're trying to lose? Because that will determine whether you do something on eBay or whether you... Do you know what I mean? What is your primary call? What is your primary reason for doing whatever it is that you're doing? And just taking the time to answer that. It's where we always start with every client. We spend a good few hours going through it because then you will know the best place to start. Would it also be fair to say that you should start with who your customer is? Because if you don't know who your customer is, then you're probably going to be spending an awful lot of time attracting the wrong kind of traffic. That goes into it even more than that. So once you understand, let's take, um, so I'll use my son as an example, right? My son is 18 years old, just about to head off to university. He's going to start his first online business to try and pay for his way through uni, right? So he's had some coaching from dad. <laughs> That's a different thing entirely, right? But um, yeah, he's, he's done some of the online courses that we've done. And so he's figured out, he wants to set up an online business. And his reason for doing this is he wants to do something that's fun, that's interesting, but he, he kind of wants to pay his way through uni. He's not looking to reinvent the whole e-commerce model. He just wants to make enough money to pay for his uni fees. All right, well, we can cope with that. So what's the best way to do that? So we've talked about that. And so now he's kind of, he's got to figure out for him, well, what product do I sell? Okay, so gets even more basic than that. So you, you kind of have to look at, well, what is it I'm going to sell and to who am I going to sell it to, right? So I need to understand the product and I need to understand the customer. And I need to do both of those things before I even think about understanding what website platform to use. Do you see what I mean? Yeah. So we always say to clients the whole time, when they come to us and say, listen, we want an e-commerce website, can you help us? I'm like, well, what's your product and who's your customer? Because our platform might not be right for you or the platform that you're thinking of might not be right for you based on the answer to those two questions. So you're right. You have got to understand who your customer is, but you've also got to understand the product that you're selling, which is easy if you're already selling a product, if you already have a product range, but it's not as straightforward if you're looking to start this as a brand new venture. Do you know what I mean? And, and you've got to spend a bit of time thinking about that. What about if you're selling digital assets? So, in, you know, in my world, for example, if I was creating IP and I wanted to sell that, obviously the same question uh, in terms of what am I selling and who am I selling it to? But I suspect a lot of the people that would be listening to this would be thinking about, well, which platform should we be looking at for that kind of product? So we've just launched a new e-commerce masterclass, right? So it's a digital product. Yeah. And in that course, we go through what I call the six core elements of e-commerce are. So if you want to start an online business, you have got to understand these six critical things, right? They are number one, your product and customer. Number two, your website platform. Number three, you have to understand your engagement, your, your resonance, how customers are going to engage with your website. Number four, you have to understand marketing. Number five, you have to get your head around the customer experience. And then finally, number six is what I call yo-yo. It's this whole repeatable process. Like how do 80% of people who buy an e-commerce website will only ever buy from you once, which is ridiculous. You need to get those guys back time and time again. Absolutely. Right? The repeat business is critical because the cost of acquiring a customer massively outweighs selling to an existing one. Exactly. Exactly. So, um, and there's an art to that, especially online, right? So they're the six elements. They're the six key elements. So we've done this course around those six core elements. Okay. One of the things that we did in the early days was I, I was like, right, well, I've got this IP. I, I've got this framework in my head that I've used with clients all over the world that we've used in our own business. We know it works. So we, we're good to go, right? So the first thing I do, I sketch out an idea of what the course could look like. But I need to, again, I need to understand the product and the customer. I have an idea in my head of what I think it should be, but now I need to go away and do the research. Is this product something that customers want? Who's buying it? And so what we did was we, when we've traditionally done a course, for example, traditionally we've done it in a way which says, right, I will record a course and I will put it out there. I'm going to do a voiceover maybe to a PowerPoint presentation. Record that as a video and we'll sell that as a course. The way we did this one was we went out to our followers on social media and we surveyed them. What are the most common questions that you have around setting up an e-commerce business 
especially in this time, you know, in the lockdown time, the COVID time, we wanted to know what those questions were. So we surveyed everybody. We got in a whole bunch of data. And so the course then became about answering those questions rather than presenting my framework. And we used the framework to answer those questions. Does that make sense? Uh, absolutely. And it's, uh, just to build on that point, if you are going to create a product, go and speak to the people who are going to spend money and buy it. Because if you don't produce... Um, Dan Kennedy said something which stuck with me for the last two decades. Gather the herd and produce product to suit. If you are not producing product that your customers want, then you fall into the trap. One of my very early mentors in this business was a guy called Jerry Lemberg, and he was one of the initial founders of Fairchild Semiconductor. Uh, he was the first investor in Oracle, very early investor in Microsoft. And he described entrepreneurs as pe- uh, people who produced elegant solutions to problems that don't exist. <laughs> And the the internet, the world is full of products that have absolutely no useful function and no target market. So start with the customer. Excellent. Sorry to interrupt, but I think it's a a critically important point. No, it is totally, totally important. And so that's what we did. We, we, on this course, we started with, we got all the questions in, we, we used the course to answer those questions. Guess what my marketing material became, right? Those questions. But what we did was everybody that asked a question, we said to them, listen, we're now going to record this course. Do you want to come and watch it in like a webinar format? I kind of present it live online and people can interact with you. We're going to do that. Come and watch it. Because you asked a question, actually, we're going to let you watch it for free. I'm not saying this is what everybody should do, but this is just what we did. It was different uh, on this course. And so I would do the presentation of the materials and the teaching, but now I'm interacting with people. I'm getting their comments back. So I think there's a higher energy level and I actually think I've got a better product. And of course, the other thing that I got right at the end of this, once we recorded is I got a whole bunch of reviews and testimonials. So now when we launch the product, it's very different. So if I go around my framework, you start off with your product and your customer. Well, that's what we did. We researched, we surveyed, We got them involved in the product creation. Guess who my biggest fans are promoting the course right now? Everybody that was on that course, right? So once we understood that, once we understood what we were doing, we're like, right, now what platforms do we need to make this happen? Okay. So if I was just going to do a presentation and record it, well, I could do that on any old computer. That's not a problem. I didn't really, I just need PowerPoint and a microphone away I can go. But because I now want to do this webinar thing, I'm now asking my question, well, what's the best way to do that webinar? So we settled on Zoom because everybody's on Zoom at the moment, right? So you see how dealing with the first thing then leads on to answering the questions about platform. How do I sell this? What's the best way to do that? You know, there are probably 30 platforms out there right now that are all competing in that same space. But what's the best one for me and my needs? Well, fortunately, I'm a web, I'm a web company. so. <laughs> It's my own system. And so we had it, you know, created exactly how I wanted it, which was just a beautiful thing. And so the course delivery, everything is centered around the customer. It's centered around how they're going to interact with it, what they've got out of it. And so, yeah, that kind of product research then leads on to the platform. Once you understand the product, who it is, the product you're creating, who you're targeting, then we know what kind of ideas to think about where platform's concerned. So. You've got your product, you've done your research, you've identified your platform. Now, how do you attract other customers, not just your foundation customers, but how do you attract your broader marketplace? Sure. Well, if I'm honest with you, Marcus, I think there's one thing I need to do before I do that. We call this the resonance phase. This is where we look at engagement. In other words, if I did get someone to come to my website... Are they interacting with this well? Am I giving them what they need? Because before I go and generate countless amount of traffic to this website, what's their experience going to be on that? So we do a lot of testing, um, a lot of rigorous testing. We get people in and we just follow how they use it. Where do they get stuck? How do we make it easy for them to buy? What needs, do you see what I mean? What needs to happen? So you've got to think about that and get that working as well as you can. And often it is just simple things like colors and space and just being very clear in headlines and purpose and all that sort of stuff. So once you've done that, then we go onto traffic. So now I know I've got my platform and I know it's going to work well when I send traffic to it. 
So then we have to think about what I call the, the pillars, the pillars of e-commerce marketing. So you've got everything from SEO, which is your medium to long-term strategy, and your SEO or search engine optimization. I think you start from day one, but you know you're not going to get results till day you know, 100 probably, right? And it's, um, so you've got to think, what am I going to do between day naught and 100? But from 100 on, you, you could be doing SEO quite well especially if you did your research well at the start and you understood what the customer questions are because all your SEO content is just answering those questions, right? And so if you do it right at the beginning, it makes the rest of it a whole lot easier, let me tell you. So you've got SEO, you've got obviously social, so putting out content on social, the same thing, growing your network there. You've got email marketing, which you can look at. You've got traditional PR if you really want to head down that road. I tend not to. Uh, I just don't have that much experience in that whole section, but I know for some people they work that really, really well. So yeah, you're you're looking at these channels to then grow your audience and to grow your your traffic to that specific page. If you've done your job right, that should be fairly straightforward because you will have built an audience up over time. You're not starting with a. I mean, you know, my son who's going to uni has got zero audience. This is a brand new business, so he's got to spend time once he understands who his customer is, starting to connect with those people whilst he's getting the platform and everything right. He's got to start building his audience and connections up. If you do that, then we've got people that we can go to. Um, And you don't actually need that many people in the early days. You don't need an audience of 100,000. You just need 10 or 20 really good people that are willing to talk about what you do and it will grow quite quickly from there. Those are what Seth Godin Term sneezers, aren't they? Yes. Okay. Yeah, I, lo- I love Seth Godin. He's such a cool dude. <laughs> he, he is very smart. Let's throw a fly in the ointment here. This all sounds quite technical, time-consuming, detail-orientated. What advice would you give for somebody who's fast-paced, big picture, and doesn't do detail? <laughs> <laughs> I think empower people that do would be my... I work with a lot of CEOs, for example, who have got very fast paced, have not got time to get into minutiae and into detail. They're not going to sit and do research. They are not, they don't give a flying flip about platforms. So this is normally why they call me and they go, right, this is what I want to achieve. This is my team. Give me a piece of paper which tells me what I should do and why I should do it. And I think whoever you use, if you're fast paced, big picture, the worst thing you can do I think, is just go, I'm fast-paced, I'm big picture, I'm therefore just going to jump in with both feet, instantly choose a platform, and just switch it on and hope for the best. Do you know what I mean? It's, um, that's how I used to do things. And that's actually my natural tendency. I'm a very kind of, like most CEOs, I tend to work on my gut reaction quite a bit. Does this feel right? This feels good. Let's just do this. Do you know what I mean? And behind me, there's often a wake of disaster <laughs> yeah. as the team have to try and pick up all the pieces of Matt's next crazy idea, which happens, you know, or used to happen quite a bit. So I would say if you're big picture, you've got to find the people that can help you because it's not straightforward. It's simple, but you've got to give it the resource. It's one of the biggest things, biggest failings that I think people have in this whole area is they do not devote enough resource to to this idea. So on that note, in terms of the investment, how much time, how much money, how much resource do you re- realistically need to get your initial uh, e-commerce site up and running and trading and making some profit? Oh, that's an interesting question. Again, uh, it all depends, doesn't it? So you take Josh, for example, my 18-year-old son. It's not actually a whole lot because he's just got to invest some time. So he's probably spent the best part of nine hours going through the online course, um, coaching. So, you know, spent a couple of days coaching. He's done a couple of days research. It would take him maybe half a day to build the website um, and get that up and running in its bare form. So his investment is actually very little because he's going to invest probably a week of his time to get started. And then it will probably be two or three hours a day just, you know, building and maintaining his website. And of course, he'll get help from dad. If I flip it around, so let's say we've launched, um, for example, a new website last week with a lady called Joanne Jewett, who is just wonderful. 
Um, Jo's in her mid-60s. She's a makeup artist. She was a makeup artist for Princess Diana, Madonna, Barbara Streisand, you know, the who's who of a certain decade and era that I'm very familiar with. She, she did the makeup for them, right? And so hugely popular lady. And so she and I have set up this website, which is basically doing makeup for women in their 50s and 60s, right? We are very clear on who our market is, women in their 50s and 60s. Let's help these ladies do makeup well. And Jo has a particular methodology. She has a particular philosophy on life. And so setting up her website has taken a lot more investment. So I've spent a good week of my time on it. She has probably spent three or four weeks getting content ready. We've got a team that's been working in the office, you know, the developers, the designers, the content writers, the marketers, everybody coming together to get this site up and running. You're probably talking about 10 to 20 grand's worth of initial investment if you were to put a financial value on that time. We worked with a client just before lockdown, actually, spent 120 grand getting their website up and running and flopped actually with insight. And you knew it was going to flop very quickly. Um, and that's why they called me. They'd invested 120 grand. And six weeks after the launch of the new sites, they were trading at under half what they previously had before they moved their site. And so you talk about, and this is the, the important point here, the more money you spend doesn't mean the more likely you are to guarantee success. Because that, do you know what I mean? It's, you can spend an awful lot of money and still get it really, really wrong. And so I've seen people spend half a million pounds on this kind of stuff. It all depends on you as a business, what, it, what your goals are, what you're wanting to achieve. But then I come right back to Josh. He spent very little money so far. He didn't even pay to access the course. Maybe I should take it out of his pocket money. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> now he doesn't have to take out a student loan, hopefully. Well, that's the plan. Yeah. Yeah. Fabulous. So it, it sounds to me like there are some critical principles here. First of all, speak to and listen to your customers. Build the product and the proposition around what they want. Make sure you make it easy for them to find you, navigate your site, and make it easy for them to find what they're looking for and make it compelling for them to want to buy from you. And once you've done that, test and measure and make sure that what you're doing is working. So don't just do it and then leave it. Uh, I remember listening to an audiobook um, probably about six, seven months ago on how the Obama campaign raised so much money and mm. the size of the button, what word went on it, was it donate or was it contribute, where it was located. And you need to approach this with the mind of a scientist and be patient. Mm-hmm. And at the same time, Make sure you've got your search engine optimization started so that you're playing the medium to long game and ensure that you're tracking what's working and what's not. Presumably quite a bit of split testing as well to make sure that you're identifying what works, what doesn't, and sacrificing what doesn't, replacing something else to test against your next best performing component. And only change one thing at a time, I think, seems to be the most sensible thing as well. Yeah, it just becomes way too complicated if you try and change more than one thing at a time. Like with, uh, say, doing social media content, you can put 10 posts out there and each post is slightly different to the other one. So you don't just have to do two where there's one difference. You can do an awful lot more, but there's only one difference between each post. So you can see which one's working better and right. And the other thing, just I, I thought your summary was very good, Marcus, and I thought it's probably worth mentioning when you're testing the website, platform to make sure that you know customers use it and can use it well and it flows and it makes sense. It has to make sense for your customer. And what I mean by this is, I don't care if you can use it. I don't even care if you like the design or if you don't. Yeah. I do care about if your customer can use it and whether they like the design. Do you see what I mean? Absolutely. Um, to, you're too often, irrelevant. Yeah, you are. Very. And it become, we get, because it's a website, because it's representing us, we get drawn into it. And whilst it, you know, I, I, I'm being a bit flippant when I say I don't care what you think, I do, but I care more about what your customer thinks. And yes, you've got to be proud of it, but you know what? I'd rather have a website. Take Google, not the prettiest site in the world, but I tell you what, it totally works, right? And for years, they were criticized by web designers because it looked rubbish. It worked for the customers, right? And that's what Google understood. There are quite a few poor web designers and not many poor Google owners. 
<laughs> That's very, very true. <laughs> it's like Bonnie and Clyde were asked, why do you rob banks? Because that's where the money is. The Wall Street Journal had that uh, long ad, that long letter that ran for, I think it was 34 years. And when they eventually changed it, they changed it for another one that ran for 19 years. And mm. I don't know how many times I read that at the back of my comics. And you know, I always thought, oh, I ought to get the Wall Street Journal. Never did. But it just strikes me that this is about slow and steady. Mm-hmm. And you, what you shouldn't be looking at e-commerce as is some form of get-rich-quick scheme. No, you're going to fail. You're going to fail miserably. I remember I went to a dinner. It was an e-commerce dinner, actually. And it's a bunch of e-commerce entrepreneurs. And this young Russian developer, Christmas Day last year, he made $3 million. And he was just watching, you know, the, the, over Christmas lunch, he was just watching the cash come in because yeah. he's developed this game and his e-commerce was perfectly set up. They did this launch just in time. Everybody who got the game for Christmas were doing in-app purchases. And you know that's a pretty reasonable Christmas present. But it took months to get there. It took nearly yeah, a year to build that up. Okay. So if we then take it to the next stage, you've got your site set up. Everything's working. There's that customer journey and the customer experience is taken care of. What do you do next in order to keep them coming back? This is um, the million-dollar question, isn't it? How do I increase... Literally. literally, yeah. How do I increase my return customers? And um, the first thing you've got to do is you've got to measure how many of your customers are coming back. You you know, it's the Jim Collins thing in his book, Good to Great. You've got to confront the brutal facts. And too many times... I come across people that just don't know the facts and it's all based on conjecture and what they actually think. Because once we understand what our starting point is, we then know what we're working with. And we're like, right, okay. So if, if 80% of our customers are only buying from us once, why is that? Is it because our product offering is a bit rubbish? For example, if I sell settees or couches for an American audience, if I'm selling a couch, well, I'm not going to sell a couch to you every three months right? It's a big purchase and it's a one-off purchase. So we can mitigate a little bit. One of our websites, the makeup website, I would expect people to be buying from me every two or three months. And if they're not, then there's something wrong. But regardless of the, the lifespan of our product, I'm always asking, what else can I do? What can I upsell to that customer to increase their lifetime value and to increase their, you know, the amount of, of times they purchase from me? So coming back to the product and customer again, so how do I increase repeat customers? Well, what is it they want? What is it that I can give them that's going to cause them to keep coming back to me? And then the second thing is, what's my relationship like with that customer, right? Am I sending them an email which just says, bye, bye, bye all the time? Or am I building a relationship with them? Do I get to know them? Do I, am I doing something that's a bit different to everybody else that's causing them to connect with us and our values more than you know the supermarket guy over there? It's why but, you know, the start of COVID, one of the things that we did, sorry, just taking a little bit of a left tangent here. But one of the things right. that we did was um, I was really keen that, you know, local shops, you know, the small corner shop. Whenever I think of the small corner shop, I've, I've got Arkwright. Is it Arkwright in my head? Arkwright. Um, yeah, Arkwright. Yeah. Thinking, well, goodness me, what would have happened to him in COVID? And so just down the road from me, there are some some small shops and they're all run by great people. And then half a mile down the road, there's a Tesco's Express and a big co-op. And all the little guys were like, oh, we just don't want to open. And I'm like, you know what? This for me is your opportunity to do something a little bit different and to create value to your customers. Because ultimately the reason why my wife might go to Tesco's rather than you is because it's convenience, right? Everything's in one place and you may be cheaper, they may be cheaper, but it's just choice, okay? Now though, she's got a queue outside, she's got to wear a mask. I'm like, why don't you set up an e-commerce website, put your most popular products on the site, and just start off with whatever your most popular products are, put them on the website, and then leaflet drop everybody in this local area. Say, listen, order online, we deliver from between four o'clock and five o'clock, and if you spend over 30 quid, delivery is free, right? And then you go around the local community delivering the groceries, or they can do click and collect. So they're not coming in your store, but you're using digital to create a service for them that they want. They want the groceries. 
but you're also doing this other magical thing. You're forming a relationship with them. You're knocking on their door saying, hey, Jean, here's your groceries. You may be six foot away from the door, but guess what? You now know Jean. You know where she lives. And so she's going to, Jean will find it very hard to go back to Tesco's if you're doing that service post-COVID. She's still going to get stuff from you. Really good example of this. Are you familiar with Mark Schaefer? Mark? Schaefer. Huge name in marketing and customer experience. Mm. And uh, both he and his wife caught COVID. So for seven weeks, they couldn't go out. They were quarantined. And they started subscribing to a cook and delivery and cook your own ingredients meal service. And they've fallen in love with it. So actually, most of their food grocery shopping is just going through this one channel now. And it was because it was personalized and uh, it was convenient. Uh, They didn't, they could still cook. It wasn't just TV dinners, that kind of thing. But they're probably spending 20, maybe 30% more, but they're happy to do it. And they've got no desire to go back to going to the supermarket and just buying uh, stuff piecemeal because this is great. The recipes are good. They've created this relationship. And this is a guy who has massive influence. He's the guy who's turning around uh, the marketing of major corporations. Mm. And he's got a following of hundreds of thousands. And he's got massive influence. And what's more, it's going to end up in one of his books, which is going to influence for decades to come. And you you don't know who is right on your doorstep or who your next significant influencer customer will be. So look after the people that you're bringing on. What's interesting here is actually the principles of e-commerce are identical to setting up any business and uh, operating any sales operation. You know, apart from the technology, the medium, nothing has changed. If you're smart, you start with your customer, you understand why you're doing it, you make it easy for them to find you, easy for them to buy, and make them want you to come back. And you base it on a strong relationship that's built on earning their money initially, then earning their loyalty, and then earning their faith. That's exactly right. Okay. That's exactly right. The principles are exactly the same. So you take this website we started with Joe Jewett. The question you've got to ask yourself is, well, why would I do that with Joe Jewett? Why would I not just go up and uh, set a makeup website selling makeup to women in their 50s and 60s? I know how to set up a website. I know how to do the research. The answer is very simple, right? Joe can do the content. She can do the video. She can be the face on the website. She can be the smiley, happy person on the website because she's, she's the right person to do that. Women aren't going to buy makeup from me in their 50s and 60s. They're but just not going to. I don't understand why your complexion at all. Well, you know, it's just, it's kind of safe. But they will buy it from Joe. And so I was very clear, like if I want a repeatable business, if I want a business to grow, the, the business has got to have a face. It's got to have a personality, especially online. There's too many Amazons where nobody knows anything. And I'm not trying to be Amazon. I kind of celebrate the fact that we're small and we put Joe's picture and videos all over that website and you will love her or you will hate her. She's Marmite, right? But if you love her, you will buy. Let me tell you, I've seen the transactions coming through. The average order value is insane because they just get Joe and they trust it. I mean, you can quickly gather people's trusts through testimonials and videos on your website, even though you don't ever meet them. Do you see what I mean? But it's that personal face. It's building that relationship with the customer. How do I do that? I I, I used to train um, a guy who sold on QVC. He was known as Mr. Christmas. And what was really interesting was the QVC model was just genius. But it was methodical, systematic, absolutely down to the, the, the minutest detail. And I taught him how to sell umbrellas. And we sold 10,000 red umbrellas in, I think it was 12 minutes. <laughs> it was it's quite just, impressive. Oh, wow. Dexter Moscow is his name. A fascinating guy. In fact, I uh, trained him, his wife, and his son. So that was really funny, uh, training two generations and a family. Okay. So, Matt, tell me this. Your customer's coming back. What acts of hubris and insanity do you see people committing once they are successful with their e-commerce platform? Uh, That's a really good question. So yeah, acts of insanity would be treating your customers like they're just another number on the database. 
And what I mean by this is as you grow, as you get more successful, it just starts to become more and more about the numbers, about the numbers. And you forget to take time to hear people's stories. And so I'll give you a story, an example. When we, when we train our customer service guys, we're like, listen, we want you to give the service that you would like if you were in the same situation. That's how you judge it. So if you were on the phone calling us with the same problem, what would you want in that scenario? And that's not a sensible, super, a sensible position to be in if you're just treating everything like a number. So we had one guy who called up, for example, on a Friday, wanting to know where his parcel was. And so the customer service guy, Greg, got on the system and looked and saw that it was, well, he'd only ordered it the day before on Thursday. And he'd opted for the free delivery option. And it's really clear on the website. It says, you know, free delivery, three to five working days because it's sent, you know, snail mail. That's what free delivery is. So we were clear on the website and we were within our rights then to go, you know what? Yeah, really sorry. You're just going to have to wait a few days. But Greg was like, no, no, we need to understand the story. This is not a number. So he said to him, he said, why can, can I ask, why is this a, a problem? And the guy said, listen, it's, tomorrow is my wife's birthday. She loves this stuff that you sell. I was a bit late in ordering it. And I, was, I ordered it yesterday, hoping that it would arrive today. I didn't appreciate that I could upgrade the shipping. And I just now... I." my wife's not going to get a, a, a present. Well, Greg is married, I'm married, and we both go, we are not. <laughs> we are feeling for you right now, bro. This is not great. So what Greg did, Greg then goes to the way, he says, you know what, don't panic about it. He said, I'll send the order out again today, but I'll send it on a next day courier and it'll arrive to you before nine o'clock. Okay. Now, if you've been around for a while, you know that next day delivery via courier on a Saturday morning before nine is probably one of the most expensive charges you're going to get from the carrier, right? So Greg repacks the order. He does it himself. He goes to the warehouse, repacks the order. He also puts in that order, um, in that box, a box of chocolates. He has all the, the products that we sell. He had them all wrapped. So the guy, when he got the parcel, didn't have to wrap them. And then he went around the, par- uh, the warehouse and got everybody to sign a birthday card to his wife, right? So before nine o'clock that next day, this fella gets a parcel. Everything's wrapped. There's even an extra box of chocolates and there's a card from everybody at Jersey just wishing his wife a, a happy birthday. And I actually signed, he put the card in front of me and I signed it. I didn't even question what it was. Didn't even think about it. I didn't know any of this was going on, Mark, because I have to be honest with you. Greg just sorted this out off his own. But the only, t- the only reason I know about it is because Monday morning, that guy calls up, right, I need to speak to your MD and I need to speak to him now. Mm-hmm. And so I get a call. There's this guy on the phone who's insistent he speaks to the MD. Okay, let's talk to him. Hey, how you doing? He tells me the story of what Greg does, right? And so half of me is writing out on a piece of paper the costs of what Greg has done, right? I lost 27 quid on that order. I calculated within those few minutes. By the time I counted for the postage and all that sort of stuff, lost 27 quid. But on the other side of that, I'm just making notes of I am not lying when I say to you, the guy was in tears on the phone right? because of the, yeah, yeah, because of the steps that Greg had gone to to help him out. Guess who is still buying from me today? Yeah, that's the mentality of thinking about creating lifetime relationships with customers yeah. and not looking at sales as a transaction. The sale is only over when the customer comes back and says, you know, that was bloody awesome. Best decision I could have made was buying from you. That's when, the, that's when the sale is over. The transaction is over when the money clears. But the relationship can go on for years, decades. I have clients who come to training, then they go away, then they come back. And what, what's fascinating is just how potent that feeling is that you've had an impact on people. And when they keep coming back time and again, they bring their friends, they recommend you. They, they, you know, it's a minuscule, 27 quid is a tiny marketing investment. When you consider the lifetime value of that customer, how much profit have you generated from that 27 pound investment? Yeah. 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 It, it pales in significance, doesn't it? Because we're talking years and years and years, this is now going to go on for. And the other cool thing is, guess his wife and, and that chap, guess how many people they've told about our company? Again, Mark Schaefer was told us a really interesting story. He used to work for Alcoa, the aluminium people. And they were doing business with a family-owned company. 
And uh, when recession hit, Alcoa bailed them out. They provided them with credit, longer payment terms. They uh, discounted in order to keep them going and kept that business afloat. When the next recession came and they really needed to cut costs, on his deathbed, the father said to the son, under no circumstances change. You stick with Alcoa come hell or high water. And so they've been customers for 47 years. Wow. Yeah. It's, an, it's, an, it's incredible, isn't it? But this is old school thinking. This is old school. This is what Dale Carnegie writes in How to Make Friends and Influence People. Yeah. This is not rocket science. This is not new teaching, is it? This is, this is just practical stuff. And so I think the biggest act, one of the biggest acts of insanity is people stop, stop trying to understand the story. I think there is something else here as well which is, and Mark talks about this in the podcast that we did, which is that the most human and the most humane business is the one that survives and thrives through this kind of tough time. And you have to remember, you're not dealing with physical ATM machine. You're dealing with mostly sentient, uh, sentient live human beings with a pulse, mm. with emotions, uh, with yep. needs. And the fact yep. that, Greg, paid attention and did enough to find out what the real reason was and got this guy out of that hole. That's something that will last for a long, long time. And what we also need to understand is our brand is really what people, what other people think about it, not what we say it is. And we we have to remember that, that the customer, we're in business because of, not in spite of the customer. So when you're trying to build your business, whether it's e-commerce, whether it's a, a sales operation or anything else, remember that you are dealing with human beings. And if you don't understand them and you don't focus on serving them, and that service is not servitude, it's doing the right thing. It's, yeah. you know, well, Greg, Greg did that when no one was looking. Yeah, you as his boss weren't looking over his shoulder and he still did it. So that again is a really interesting testament to your hiring process. I know that Direct Line only hire people from the caring industries. They don't hire salespeople. In terms of what you look for in a customer service hire, what are the qualities that you look for? We have this very simple process, Marcus. It's a bit unusual uh, when it comes to hiring. And it doesn't matter if you're customer service or whoever it is, the process is always the same. I remember I advertised a job once and 400 applicants applied for that job. I had 400 CVs on my desk and I thought, oh my goodness, how am I going to filter 400 applicants down to finding the right one? And like many people at the time, I would look down people's CVs. In other words, I'd look at their competence. How good are they at doing what I need them to do? And we were making incorrect decisions left, right, and center. And so I very quickly realized that I needed to add if you like, I I drew a quadrant, a quadrant graph on a piece of paper. On the vertical axis, I put competence. In other words, how good will this person be at this job? From zero to 100, you know, or naught to 10 or whatever, how good will they be? In the middle of that, I drew a, a horizontal axis. And on that axis, I wrote culture. I looked at culture and I looked at competence. And this was, for me, one of the biggest seismic shifts in our business because now we start to hire the right people because actually what I focused more on was culture. In other words, how are they aligned from a values point of view to our business and what we're trying to do? And so the way we measured that was anybody that applied for a job, send me a letter and a CV. We would reply back to them saying, thanks very much. Please fill out this application form. And if you didn't fill out the application form, I, didn't, I don't care how good you were at the job. I wouldn't even look at it or read it, right? And so you filled out the application form. Well, in that application form were all kinds of bizarre questions. Like, what was the last book you read? What did you think to that book? If you were going to be a superhero, what would your superpowers be? And you know what we did? On that questionnaire, on our job application form, there's a box where you can draw your superhero costume. We say to you, design your superhero costume here, right? Do you know what I mean? Just draw it here. Now, the reason we did this was because... One, I want to see if you'd fill it in. There are no right or wrong answers. And two, our values are, you know, one of our values is fun. Let's just, just, just enjoy ourselves. Let's just, you know, have some fun. And so if you can't draw a superhero costume, even if it's just a stick superhero costume, 
you, you can't have a bit of fun. Life's a bit too serious for you and you're not going to work well with us. So let me tell you a story because we, <laughs> I'm just laughing remembering it. One day we did this, an advert for a job and people filled out the application form. And um, we get these application forms and I read every one of them because I'm really, and I always go to the superhero bit. I want to see what their powers would be and what their costume design is. We've had full-on paintings. We've had glitter. We've had simple line drawings. I mean, you name it, we've had it in this application form. And um, one day I happened to be on Jersey, on the island of Jersey, over there doing some work over on Jersey. And I got a phone call from Rach, who, who was working for us at the time. And Rach said to me, she said, you are not going to believe what is happening right now at our organization. I said, why? What's going on? She said, Batman has turned up. So what, what had happened was a lady who was filling out this job application, she sent her friend to our office with the, the application for the job. Her friend, she convinced him somehow to dress up as Batman, right? And so Batman delivered this job application with a tray of cupcakes. <laughs> I mean, how many people have ever had that happen to them, right? And so we were like, this, we've stumbled onto something here. This is just bonkers and insane, but it is just brilliant. How did she work out as a hire? I didn't actually hire her. All right. (laughs) um, In the end. No, because, uh, you know, as with all these things, we also do a little bit of social media stalking. And so... Uh Here's a simple thing about social media. And one of the things that you like about, so I like about social media is whatever your brand values are, whatever your values are as a person, it's going to come through on your social media feed. There's no doubt about it. So you can have Batman deliver the job application. And let me tell you, it's memorable. I mean, no one has ever done that before or since. It was the most memorable job application I've ever seen. But if your social media feed doesn't back up what you're trying to tell me on a piece of paper there's an issue, right? Because there's, there's now uh, there's sort of separation. Yeah, yeah. So you're saying the right thing, but your, your values as a person, I don't care who you are, they're going to come out on social media over a number of years. And all I've got to do is scan down your feed and go, actually, this is the kind of person that you are. And it's, it might sound horribly judgmental, but it means that we actually hire people that really fit and connect well with our values because I'm going to see it on your social media stream. I just am. You're not going to get away from it. So tell me something. What, what are you wrestling with? What are you struggling with at the moment? That's a great question. I think for me, life is just hectic and busy. And I've never known life be as busy as it is now. And so the, the constant tension and wrestle is how much work do I do versus, you know, I've still got to see my family and kids. I want to succeed at home first. And so I think that is a, is a big tension right now and something that we're wrestling with in terms of how is our work-life balance affected? You know, um, I say to our guys, our team all the time, we, we do calls, we do check-in calls, at least once a week on the calls. I ask them, how's, our, how's your mental health doing? How we, do you know what I mean? Because it's so different and because life is changing so much that we just need, need to keep a, a, a check on these things. But I would say that's the biggest thing for me is just the work-life balance under COVID and the sheer onslaught of work that has sort of come my way. Uh, have you been time blocking your calendar and putting your personal stuff in first? I have now. Yes, the big rock theory. So, I had a conversation with my wife. We've all had those conversations and my my attitude was readjusted uh, and so <laughs> a very nice cocktail. Yeah, so in the diary now we have, we're very clear. This is family time. This is family time. This is when I can work late. This is excellent. And what, what are you being influenced by? What are you reading, watching, listening to that you think other people should pay heed to? There's so much I could tell you on that. I'm a big podcast fan. I love podcasts, your podcast, everybody's, you know, I have my own podcast and we have people on the show. And for me, it's the most inspirational thing because I get to talk to people like you and all kinds of amazing people on the show. And for an hour, they just sit and tell me their deepest, darkest secrets and and I get to learn and create, I can't even begin to tell you the amount of stuff that we've changed at work because of that podcast where yeah, people are willing to it. come on and yeah, you, and you sh- they share their expertise and you're like, oh my goodness. Um, so I would just, if I, I appreciate this is a, in some respects is a stupid statement, but I would almost encourage everybody to start their own podcast in an area that they are fascinated by and just go and start interviewing people on that show and just see what you can learn. And 
you'll be amazed. I think it's the relationships you build, the network you build, the, the people that you connect with, but the, the questions you get to ask. If someone's written a good book, you like that book, go and get them on your podcast. Talk to them, ask them questions. Absolutely. You know? I've had over 100 authors on my uh, podcast and I've just learned so much from them. I've got a, a rhetorician coming on fairly soon and the, uh, the book's called Thank You for Arguing. And he's fascinating. He's stuck in some... That sounds like uh, a great shed. title. I'd yeah, buy absolutely. Um, yeah, yeah. He's stuck in some shed that he uh, writes in in New Hampshire. And uh, it's yeah, I cannot wait to have that conversation with him. It's fascinating. Yeah. And yeah, uh, some of my uh, heroes in terms of sales, marketing, management, psychology, just being an absolute blessing. So I can't recommend it highly enough. But again, you have to genuinely be curious. Okay. You've got a golden tip. Well, you have to answer the question like Greg did in the customer service. What's the story? It's a question that needs to drive you. What's the story here? Yeah. What's their story? What's the story behind this? If you understand that, you'll, you'll do well. Good advice. You've got a golden ticket and you can go back and advise the idiot Matt age 23. <laughs> Will you whisper in his ear? That's a really good question. What would I tell my 23-year-old self? Probably spend less and save more. You always look back, I think, when you're older and think, why on earth did I do that when I was younger? And I think, how can I put this politely? I think be clear from the start. Whenever I look back over my life and think where things have gone horribly wrong, it's because I wasn't very clear from my point of view where I can take responsibility. I could have been much clearer at the start. So you take a business partnership that fails, for example. I could have been much clearer at the start. This is what I think, rather than just doing it because we're mates. Now, let's write it down. Let's make an agreement. This is what's going to happen. This is what we're going to do, blah, blah. I'm just be really clear on expectations at the start. I think if I could do that, the rest of it, I've just really enjoyed. Really, really enjoyed. And I've enjoyed the journey of discovery. And I just say to myself, it is going to be epic. Love your wife, love your kids, and just enjoy what you do. Do you know what I mean? You'll be all right. Absolutely. I mean, ambiguity is the mother of all food bars. My friend, uh, Amy Woodall, has this concept of own your 50. Own Mm. your 50% of anything that goes wrong in your relationship. If you don't, then you end up being very brittle, very bitter, and very judgmental. So fabulous advice. Excellent. Matt Edmondson, thank you so much. Really enjoyed this conversation. I hope we get to do it again soon. Thanks, Marcus. Thanks for having me on the show. Been, it's been a blast. Excellent. This is Marcus Kauke signing off once again from the Scale Ups and Hypergrowth podcast. If you've enjoyed the conversation, then please email me at marcuskauke at me.com or m-c-a-u-c-h-i at sandler.com and send comments, like, comment, share, and please subscribe. And also, if you think you would be a great guest or you know someone who would, then please put me in touch. I'd love to uh, have a chat with them, see if uh, there's a good fit, and maybe we can get them onto the podcast. In the meantime, stay safe, happy selling. Bye-bye.